Lessons to be learned from the parable of the workers in the vineyard. We're in Matthew chapter 20. Join us, Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse is next. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse has us back in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. If you were with us last week, you'll remember we began our look at this marvelous parable, understanding the proverb behind it, the parable itself, and then the point of the parable. That's where we find ourselves today as we continue our examination of Matthew chapter 20. All who come into the vineyard work, and no matter if you're there at the last moment or the first light of day, we all receive the same wage. And there are those who would complain that those who only worked a moment would get the same wage as those who have worked all day. But at the end of the day, the wage we see laid out for us here in this passage is quite amazing. Please join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. We see the proverb, we see the, the parable. What's the point? How do we interpret this proverb? Well, look at verse 1. It's very clear the man is God. He's the householder. He's a picture of God. The vineyard is the kingdom. It's the sphere of God's rule. It's the, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of salvation. The laborers are those who come into salvation. Those who come into the kingdom. Those who come to serve the king. The day, the day basically is illustrative of a lifetime of work. The evening is eternity. The denarius or the wage is eternal life. You could even say the steward is Jesus Christ. So what's it saying? What does this mean? It means that no matter how long you worked in the kingdom, no matter how hard or how easy your circumstances were, no matter how difficult the task, when you get to the end, you're all going to receive the same eternal life. Isn't that a great truth? That's really what it's teaching. Some people serve Christ their whole life. Some people serve Christ just a short time in their life. I mean, can you imagine how these guys felt? They've been working all day in the hot sun. And these guys show up at 5 o'clock an hour before when the sun's going down and the breeze is coming up and they got to work an hour in those conditions. And they get the same amount. That's how it is in the kingdom. That's how it is. We all get the same. We all enter into the same eternal life. We all inherit the same glories in heaven. That's really what the Lord is saying here. No matter how easy or how hard you have it in life, no matter how long or how short your service of the Lord is, think of it this way. The penitent thief will inherit the same glories of eternity that are going to belong to the apostles. Here was Peter who served with the Lord. He was crucified upside down, martyred for the cause of Christ. And then you have the thief on the cross who cries out in his last moments of life and is saved. And he receives the same eternal glories, blessings that Peter did. It may sound unfair. It may sound, this isn't right. But I'm here to tell you it's more than any of us deserve it's more than any of them deserved in the story. It's God's good pleasure to give them the fullness of what they needed. 
So those who come to Christ early in life will receive the same eternal life that those who come to Christ late in life receive. Those who spend their life in an easy place, maybe not serving Christ with a great amount of toil or effort, will receive the same eternal life that a person will receive who has served Christ at the cost of all that he owns and all that he ever has, even a martyr's death. In our economy, that doesn't make sense. But you have to understand, to begin with, it's all according to grace of the one who gives anyway, right? So the benefits of the kingdom are the same for everybody. What that says to me is that we're not trying to earn our way in. The kingdom is not a merit system, beloved. Heaven is not a merit system. It's not how many good works you do and then maybe God will let you into his heaven. That's not how it works. Eternity is not based on merit. It's based on grace. It's based on God's sovereign choice, on God's sovereign love that he puts upon you. A man and pastor in Florida named Rush Witt, he has a website called My Name is Rush, and he wrote this little uh, blog. Now remember, he's in Florida in the Case in the Anthony case, right? He wrote this a couple days after the verdict came down. And I thought it's a great picture and lesson for us as believers. He writes, Can you believe the jury found her not guilty? The case which I followed only close enough to get the general picture seemed open and shut. But in the land of freedom, an acquittal only requires a shadow of doubt. Since yesterday, much of the country and even the world is outraged. The TV and computer screen is covered with people pressing their faces close to the camera lens, seeing with, seething with disgust. Justice for Kaylee. Wrong verdict. How could they? And from my seat, it only appears that justice might have missed. The verdict was wrong. And earthly justice was probably not done. There's nothing we can do to change that now. The gavel has fallen and the case is closed. But there's some other business yet to be done. Since yesterday, the resounding response from Christians and non-Christians has been one version or another of, well, even though the court got it wrong, God won't. She'll get justice one day. And you know what? That may be true as well. However, this is a wonderful opportunity for an investigation of the gospel. If I'm honest, I must admit, when I see earthly injustice, a cry for eternal consequences is always on the tip of my tongue. But should it be? What if she doesn't get justice in eternity? What if she gets grace? Would that be a good thing? As Christians, it seems out of place with our confession to chant for wrath. By virtue of the gospel, it is true of us Christians that we have committed outrageous crimes before God and men. We have been pardoned by divine grace. We have not been treated as our sins deserve. In Christ, we can now do nothing to be more accepted by God. And we can do nothing to be less accepted by God. Unexpected mercy and scandalous grace... This is the essence of good news. Now think of Casey Anthony. Allegations of outrageous crimes against God and man. Yet our natural heart cry seems to be justice, not mercy. What if God chooses to show her grace? What if God chooses to grant her repentance? What if God chooses to justify her fully? 
on the merit of Jesus Christ. Then one day, she will see her daughter in the new heavens and the new earth without discord. What if God did this? Would we rejoice? Would we be outraged? Would we think it's great that she's redeemed, but she still has to pay for her crimes? Beloved, that's not the gospel. The good news is, in part, that God will never punish those he redeems for their outrageous crimes. He will love them and keep them and change them. We want that for ourselves, don't we? But what happens when someone murders a toddler, ditches the body, and gets away with it? If we are not willing to face the possibility of God's full and eternal pardon for Casey Anthony without any retribution, we need to reconsider our beliefs about the gospel. Let us not underestimate the scandalous nature of the good news. In light of Casey Anthony's acquittal, he goes on, we have a providential opportunity to reconsider just how good the good news is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says this, Some, such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. See, that's what this parable is saying because God is a God of grace. And it's all grace anyway. It's a wonderful truth. You stop and you think of the context that leads to this parable. Remember, a couple weeks ago we were looking at the rich young man who was basically told by the Lord... In order to follow him, he had to sacrifice everything he had. Couldn't do it. Couldn't give it up. And then following that, Peter goes to him and says, Hey, we've, we left everything, Lord. What do we get? They had their thoughts on other things. They thought Jesus was bringing the kingdom here and now, and they were going to have a big part of it. And then eventually, a little later on in the text, chapter 20, John and James actually get their mom to go to Jesus and say, hey, can, can, can my son sit on your right and your left? They're totally off the mark. See, this is who Jesus is talking to. This is who Jesus is teaching. This is after he's foretold his death. They don't get it. They just don't get it. Even after he's risen from the dead, they say, is, now, is, is now the kingdom coming? Is now that when we're going to be part of this big deal that we've been working on for three years, we left everything, what are we going to get? At the end of chapter 20, they run into a bunch, two blind guys. And they're crying out for the mercy of God. And the crowd's like, hey, you know, hush, man, what are you doing? Disturbing us over here. These were the, the downtrodden, the blind. They, nobody had any use for these people. But Jesus stopped and he healed them. And all of a sudden, they become part of the group. And the disciples are looking at the blind guys and they're going, wait a minute, we've been here three years. These guys just happen to come in here at the last hour. Surely they're not on the same plane as us. I mean, we're the apostles. He's teaching them this lesson. 
because they were self-centered. Sometimes we can be the same way, beloved. We look around and we think we're not as bad as other people. We begin to judge. We begin to cast judgment on people. It's human to do that, but it's definitely not right. You know, you wonder, when we get to heaven one day, the Bible clearly says that in my Father's house are many rooms. Somehow, we've taken that verse and we've warped it into, yeah, I'm going to have a, a nice estate on the back 40, man. You know, 18 holes of golf. And maybe if you're real nice to me now, I'll let you come over and play a couple rounds when we're up there. Because I know whatever he's working on, my house is, no, it's not my house. We're all going to be in the Father's house. See, we lose our perspective. We're all going to be saved by the grace of God. We're all going to inherit the same salvation. It doesn't matter if you're the axe murderer that, that, that got saved your last second before they injected your veins and, and carried out punishment. Or if you've been somebody who was saved from the time of six years old and you've grown up and you've served the Lord all your life. We're all going to be the same when we come to the glorious place in heaven. Romans 8.17 says, We're all heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I mean, stop and think about it. You can't get any better than perfect. Heaven is a perfect place. Heaven is in the presence of God. Now, I don't understand quite how all the reward system works out and all that because the Bible does say that we do receive rewards. But I don't know how you can improve on a perfect place. Man, as long as I'm in heaven, I don't care if I got any rewards or not. Because you're in the presence of your Savior. God is clear, beloved, that he, he desires us to come to him. The Bible says there's no distinction. There's no male nor female, nor rich nor poor, Jew, Greek. It doesn't matter whether you come early, late, doesn't matter your gender, how old you are. None of that matters. What matters is, are you willing to trust him for salvation? Are you willing to put your faith and trust in a gracious, loving God and say, yeah, I need to be saved too? Look at these principles quickly and we'll close with this. First principle, God initiates salvation sovereignly. Sovereignly. The householder, it says, went out to find the laborers and brought them into the vineyard. He comes into the marketplace to seek those who would come and to serve in his kingdom. God does the seeking. God also does the saving. And we need to continue to have faith in that. Maybe we've been praying for people to be saved for years and they just haven't been saved yet. You know what? That's God's deal. That's not your deal. You continue to share with them the gospel. You continue to live a Christian life before them and you pray that God would touch their heart. Secondly, second principle, God establishes the terms just like the householder did here. He told him he'd give him a denarius for a day's work and that's what he did. They came on those terms. You have to come to God on his terms. You can't wiggle your way into the kingdom some other way. See, that was the problem with the rich young ruler. He wouldn't play by God's terms. He said, no, I can't do that. I've done everything else, but I'm not just going to leave all my riches. Are you crazy? Christ set the price and he wouldn't pay it. 
And these poor folks in the marketplace, they didn't have anywhere else to go. They couldn't sit there and barter with this man who was going to hire them. They were willing to take whatever, whatever came by. They were at the end of the rope. Thirdly, God continues to call men into his kingdom. That's why this is a, a, a time span kind of a thing. It starts at 6 in the morning and it goes right up until the 5th hour or the 12th, 11th hour at 5 o'clock. He's still hiring workers. What's that show us? God is still bringing people into the kingdom. John chapter 9 verse 4 says, We have to work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. God is calling men, women, children to himself. Redemption goes on until the judgment comes. Fourth principle is that God is redeeming those who are willing. God is redeeming those who are willing to bend their knee to the Savior. See, the men that were gathering in that marketplace, they were gathered there looking for work. They weren't home, sitting on the couch, going, gee, nobody will hire me. No, they got up and they moved to the marketplace where they could be hired. They were willing to work. They weren't self-sufficient. They were not rich. They were dependent on someone else to meet their needs. They were not satisfied. They were poor, meek, beggars. And they had to depend on the master and what they could get from him. You have to come to the end of yourself to be saved. And the fifth principle here, God is compassionate to those who have no resources. Isn't that beautiful? God is compassionate to those who have no resources. He reaches out to those who recognize their own need. Why are you idle? Well, nobody's hired us. I'll hire you. Sixthly, I, all who come into the vineyard work or into the vineyard worked. They come. Even in the last hour, they worked. Maybe just an hour, but they worked. When Christ saves you, he has a plan, a purpose for you. Your faith is known by your what? By your works. Also, God has the sovereign and ability to keep his promise. God said to the first group, I'll pay you a denarius, and that's exactly what he did. That's a wonderful truth. That God has the ability within himself to keep his promises. God is not a liar. He said it and he'll give it to you. He always gives what he promises. And he always gives more than we deserve. Ninthly, humility is the only right attitude. They had a sense of unworthiness. They had a sense of brokenness. Jesus had to bring this out in other stories, other parables. You think of the the uh, prodigal son. That whole story, that's very illustrative of this whole, this whole parable. But the final principle, I think, is this. That we all receive from God. That what, receive, what we receive from God is a matter of His grace. It's undeserved blessing, beloved. There's no works involved here. The sovereign grace dispenses to all who come into his vineyard no matter how they work. No matter how short they work or how long they work or how hard or how easy, whatever. He dispenses the same eternal life to all of them. The equalizer is grace because where you have sin, grace covers it. And where sin abounds, the Bible says what? Grace abounds more. 
So grace just keeps erasing so everyone can come out at the same point to inherit the same eternal life. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians when he says that God who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, down there in the marketplace without any resources, he made us alive together in Christ by grace through faith for the purpose that he might show unto us the glories of his kindness through all eternity. You say, is God fair or not fair? You know what? He is unfair. God definitely is unfair. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. You might look at the sinner over there and want God to go punish him or her. You might expect that a fair and just God would mete out due punishments to those people. If he doesn't, it's not fair. But when you look at your own life, well, I want the favor of God. I want the grace of God. But God is fair in the, also in the fact that he demonstrates his justice through Christ who bears the wages of sin for all men. God's divine wrath is meted out, but it's focused and channeled through his cross, through his son. That's why Christ died, not us. He satisfies his own demands himself. So now in Christ, we rightly claim a place in God's kingdom. We claim the inheritance as sons. We have by Christ's work an earned credit with God. Not because we did anything, but because his work on the cross, he perfectly lived his life, and we get credit for that. Amazing. Like the workers who slaved all day in the fields, and the latter latecomers benefit from their efforts. We benefit from the work of Christ. I just thank God that he does provide that way of salvation through his son. Because without it, we would all be lost. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I don't know necessarily how this message has fallen upon the hearts here. I know it's affected me. And my own response is one of thankfulness. Lord, when I look at my own life, I know that there are a lot of people that are a lot more faithful than I am. They work a lot harder than I ever have. Longer, under greater stress. And I thank God that somehow he has allowed me to receive the same inheritance. I'm sure there are others who've worked less, fewer years with less diligence. And I thank God that his grace is poured upon them. And they will be able to give him glory one day for his grace on their lives. So it's a time of thanks. It's a time of praising the grace of God. Whether you're in or out of the kingdom, a recipient of that grace, or you're still standing in the marketplace rejecting the offers, maybe it's five o'clock in your life. Maybe he's calling you to his vineyard. Don't be like the rich young ruler. Come to him on his terms. Don't stand outside the place of blessing. Never able to know his great grace. Never able to receive the eternal gift of life. Come to him. He welcomes you. His grace is sufficient for you. 
Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. And I pray that if anyone here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, that Lord, somehow this might be the day that you allow them to understand their need of a Savior. Allow them to cry out to you in a heartfelt prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner, Lord. Save me. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.